lovely sound I hear it in the thunder and the rain It's ringing in the sky Like cannons in the night The music of the universe plays We're singing You are holy Great and mighty The moon and the stars Declare who you are Good morning, everybody. <laughs> Thank you, both of you. It's good to see you this morning. You survived the great cold. The winter of 2017 is over. No, 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 2017. It ended on December 31st. I knew exactly what I'm saying. 2018 is going to be a warm year because of global warming. Did anybody else leave their car running in the driveway last week? Are you guys seriously that slow at this early in the morning? Global warming, carbon, carbon, you know, coming out of the back of your car. Sir? Let me try again. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Carpenter's Way. It is great to have you here this morning. Wake up. Stuff's about to happen. Uh, we are, uh, this morning, uh, we're going to shake things up a little bit. As you know, Carpenter's Way is very actively involved in mission. Um, first of all, if you're visiting with us this morning, welcome. We're, we're awfully glad to have you here with us. Um, uh, Back to what I want to do. Uh, we have, uh, we participate with the Southern Baptist Convention in what they call their international uh, mission program. And we support them tens of thousands of dollars a year. They have about 8,000 missionaries globally that, that reach people for Christ and start churches. And we participate them significantly financially. 
Uh, on top of that, we have about 14 mission groups that we participate with as a church. Uh, there's Amazon Outreach. There is um, a Mosaic Center, Pregnancy Help Center. Uh, individuals that we sponsor, uh, Josh and Allie Ferguson with Campus Crusade for Christ. Periodically, we give them an opportunity to come in and share what God is doing. One of those mission fields is a local one. It's the Gideons. Uh, they basically, uh, it, is a, um, it is a ministry, and David Minshew, one of our Gideons, is going to be sharing with you for the next five minutes or so what God is doing through that ministry and what it is. But we have about eight guys in our church that are part of the Gideon ministry, and their primary task is to give Bibles out. And we are privileged to participate with them. And uh, so we want to keep you informed on what these ministries are doing. So, David, why don't you come on up and share? Uh, there's, is there eight, or is there more than that? It's, it's just under, I think, a dozen that we, of guys that we have involved. And then some ladies are involved in, in the Ladies Auxiliary as well. So, David, why don't you share? Uh, David, now let me tell you, for those of you who don't know, David uh, Minshew was an elder when I came to, well, you're always an elder. Uh, but David is one of our pastors, has been serving as an elder here for, well, let's see, we've been here 12 years, so probably about 15 or 16 years, right? Long time, since before Moses was here, right, David? You look like <laughs> Moses this morning. He's like, he's like, quit talking, let me talk. So, David, why don't you share about the Gideons? Thank you. Uh, I'm here on behalf of the Gideons ministry. Uh, Gideons believe the Holy Bible is God's Word. Gideons believe in the power of God's Word. And uh, we give away Bibles because we believe that people can come to know God by reading His Word. The reason we give away Bibles is, is that uh, we're concerned for people. I was asked to join the Gideon ministry many years ago, and I was very busy at the time, and I told them, no, thank you, I don't have time uh, to get into this right now. After I made that decision, I began to question whether or not uh, I'd made the right decision. I knew that the Gideon in the Bible had uh, used a fleece to help make his decisions, and so I decided to make use of a fleece as well. At, at, at this time, <clears throat> I was uh, working a job where I worked a rotating shift, and I didn't like working the rotating shift. I wanted to work a day shift. So I, I prayed, and I said one morning, I said, God, if you want me to be a part of the Gideon ministry, then you put me on a day shift. And that afternoon, my phone rang at home. I answered the phone. It's my supervisor. He said, David, I'm going to put you on a special assignment, and you're going to have to work the day shift for a while. <laughs> so after, after the phone call, I prayed, and I thanked God, and then I called my Gideon friend and told him, hey, hey I, I want to join the Gideons. So he helped me get signed up for it. And uh, while I was on this special assignment, there, there was a co-worker that I worked with that he was on a special assignment too. We worked together side by side. We ate lunch together. We took our breaks together. And uh, he was not a believer. I knew that his wife was a believer, and I knew that she was praying for him all the time. And uh, my coworker was an avid reader, but he is skeptical of religious people. He attended church faithfully when he was young and when he was up to a young adult, but then he had decided that church was not for him. Uh, between Christmas and New Year's that year, me and Connie were uh, shopping in Target, and I saw a one-year Bible on their, in their book rack. And I bought two of the Bibles and, and gave one to my friend, and I told him, I said, hey, if we read this Bible every day, then we'll read the whole Bible in a year, and, and uh, you think you might be interested in that? And he was interested, he wanted to try it. 
we'd read the Bible at home and then we'd discuss what we'd read at lunch the next day or on our breaks before long he started reading ahead every day when we got to work he'd say hey Shu I read a whole week today I'm, I'm way ahead and so we just have more to discuss I tried to tell him it wasn't a race but he kept getting further and further ahead of me uh, he finished reading the Bible before July that year he, he became a believer and made a commitment to follow Jesus he gave that Bible to another co-worker and that co-worker read it too and then when that co-worker, co-worker got through reading the Bible he gave it to someone else and it, it made the rounds there in the lab at the paper mill my friend became a Sunday school teacher and I've been told that he's a wonderful teacher the, the part of the Gideon ministry that I enjoy the most is going to the juvenile detention center on Sunday afternoons I go once a month I try to go on the first Sunday of the month other people go the other Sundays and, and we go there and have church for the young people that are there sometimes there's only one or two there and sometimes there are 10 or, 10 or 12 we, we share Jesus with them and then we let them talk I'm a teacher at Dyball High School for my regular job so sometimes I see some of my students at the juvenile detention center and then I see them the next week at school or I might have seen them on a Friday and then they'll get to their Sunday and they've made a decision and they might, might be there and uh, a few years ago I was at school and a freshman that I didn't know came up to me and handed me a handmade Christmas card and I, did, I didn't know this student and uh, I, I was teaching with a co-teacher at the time so I asked the student I said am I supposed to give this Christmas card to Miss Duncan and he said no Mr. Minshew that's for you so I uh, op- looked at it and, and opened up and read it he, he left and went back to his class and it was Matthew uh, 25 36 the card read I was naked and you gave me clothing I was sick you cared for me I was in prison and you came to visit me I realized that he'd been at the detention center when I'd held church one Sunday afternoon it meant a lot to me that he gave me that card but it meant more to him that I'd taken the time to visit him and and, uh, visit him while he was in jail people need to know that we care for him So, I know you're wondering where the Gideon ministry is in all that. Let, let, me, let me wrap it up. That's what Gideons are. Okay? They're lay people, just people who love people, who believe that the Word of God uh, never returns void, and so they give it out every opportunity, and they live it. And uh, I, think, I think that's one of the best Gideon presentations, and I've seen some. I've been to the Gideon headquarters in Nashville, and David, to see your life, I've got, I got to tell you, and, and I'm not propping David up. David loves people, and Connie, and they, they serve. And it isn't, my prayer for Carpenter's Way is not that we get bigger. Um, that, that's fine. Uh, not that we're fancier, but that, but that we do more of that in this community. People need Jesus in East Texas. The Bible Belt are full of Christians, but not many people fill, filled with the Holy Spirit. And I'm not talking about tongues. I'm talking about being used by God in those moments. You are here. We are here for a purpose and it is not to do church or to, to maintain Texas economy. We are here to serve the king and kings in this very religious community. And the word of God is the difference. If you want to know what's different 
It, it's how people handle God through his word. That's, that's the difference. And I know we have some visitors today, and I just want to encourage you. You know, we're glad you're here this morning. Our prayer for you is that you find a church that believes the word, believes who God is through his word, has a high view of the word of God. Lots of stuff is being talked about in the church today, but God is what matters. Relationship God with God through his son, Jesus. Uh, thank you, David. <clears throat> Two things I want to say. Most of the ministries that we support individually, Pregnancy Help Center, Mosaic Center, the, the Gideons, they are run by people we respect, but they are the ministers are lay people. People just volunteer their time. And uh, one of the things that's been weird for me at Carpenter's Way is I go into these ministries periodically to function, uh, to teach, to, to encourage, and I see it's surrounded by Carpenter's Way people. There are many serving. If you're not serving, there's tons to do. If you're bored, there's lots to do in this community. We can help you find a ministry. If you are, there are standards for Gideons. I think they have to be business owners or insurance agents or teachers or something. But if you're interested in handing out Scripture, participating in this, uh, you can talk to David or is Jim Kennedy still? Who who are some of the uh, Jim here? You saw David. Who? Gary Claus. Uh, less spellings. Where's Gary? Is he here this morning or is he speaking in another church? Okay. So Gary is is he the head of the area? David Wilkerson just, just became a Gideon. You can talk with any of these guys if you're interested in finding out what they do. They get together, they pray, and they hand out scriptures. That may not be your area of interest, but again, I want to remind you, there's lots to do, lots of testimonies. You want to reach somebody for Christ, get involved in ministries. Um, and I'm, I'm not just talking about Carpenter's Way. I'm talking about Pregnancy Help Center. You can talk to Paula. Uh, and we've got five or six people on staff that go here. Mosaic Center, talk to Donna. There's lots of, lots of ministry opportunities to be involved. Because what David just shared with you is, is remarkable. And you're like, I've never had an experience like that. Um, they're there. They are there. We will help you plug in. David, thank you. Okay, so that's one thing. Get involved. The second thing I want to say is what we do by way of support is this ministry, uh, it's funded by the Gideons. What is not funded by the Gideons alone is Bibles. And so when they come in and when they share, uh, we traditionally, every year, the Gideons that we have in our church will stand at the door at the end of the service, and they'll have an open Bible. And if you'd like to buy Bibles, you just put money on the Bible. Uh, and they will take that, and every penny of that will be used to purchase Bibles. Right, David? Is there anything else that I need to say? So that's what will happen at the end. If you'd like to support this ministry, please don't put it in the offering plate. Give it directly to them. If they want to write a check, do they write it to David Minshew? No. That's good, because that would have been wrong. Can they write it to the Gideons? Gideons East Camp, uh, and it'll get to the right place, so you can participate in that. Again, that's, uh, that's at the end of the service. We'll do that at the door. And uh, do you teach, you don't teach a Bible study during the hour? So maybe I can ask you to, st to be up here at the end. Jim, are you teaching a Bible study? So at the end, we'll have less. Maybe you guys can, oh, you'll be at the doors. So ask these guys questions if you have them, okay, guys? Uh, so uh, let, let's move back to our, uh, our time of service. I'm going to ask our ushers at this time to come forward for our offering. Um, while they do, I do have some things to highlight, and I'm going to move quickly. In your worship guide, lots of stuff going on. Let me start by saying there's not going to be GPS this morning for our children. During the service, for those of you who are visiting with us, we usually have a, a children's church up through th third grade. That's not going to take place this morning because during the 11 o'clock hour, we have uh, a, a big rally for the preschool uh, volunteer. It's appreciation and training. If that fits you during the 11 o'clock hour or you're interested in serving there, 
uh, during the 11 o'clock hour in the, in the uh, Kids Connection Center. That will take place. But your kids are going to stay in here and hear some phenomenal preaching this morning. I mean, it's better than, thank you, sheep of the day right there. You get a parking space someday if we ever get one for sheep of the day. That's going to be something we do. Did you hear that? She amen the great preaching comment. Um, also, I want to highlight, later today, there is a, an Amazon outreach or at, right after Bible study at noon. Um, there in the gathering room, second hall, first door on the right, uh, is going to be a meeting about Amazon, the short-term summer mission that goes to Brazil. You, do not, you are not signing up if you go to that meeting, but you'll get all the information, so please join that. Just, just stop in, and, and uh, if you can and you're interested in that, is Kevin and Pam here? Okay, Kevin, you're usually up here, you guys. Could you please, would you guys move to the back and let them sit up here? It's throwing me off. Um, but Kevin and Pam uh, will be here. If you're new, Carpenter's Way is very ministry-minded, and that's, it's that time of year we start doing that. But that's today after church, and if you can't make it, talk to Kevin or Pam. Um, uh, Bible study, women's Bible studies, Julie, start next week. That information is in the worship guide. Look at the dates. Ladies, be involved in Bible study. Men's, we continue Tuesday morning. The only other thing that I want to highlight this morning before we pray and continue on with our time of worship is that uh, uh, if you have a student, if you have a student between 6th and 12th grade that is going to Hot Hearts or is inter Jeff interested or is already signed up? Already signed up. We need you to go after Bible study to the student room and fill out all their paperwork. Is there a meeting or just paperwork? paperwork so please 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 do that your kids cannot go even if you pay if they don't have that paperwork form filled out so uh, be be sensitive to these things uh, if you have any questions you can talk to Jeff or Mark uh, I think that does it for the announcements anything else we need to hit this morning all right you guys let's let's commit our time to the Lord uh, we're going to turn our face away from all this business now and we're going to turn on worship and then we're going to be in first Samuel uh, four five and six this morning I'm so excited to get into this with you this morning let's pray and uh, Lord, thank you for loving us. Thank you for allowing us the privilege of not just sitting and watching you work, but participating in your work. Father, I thank you for the mission of the Gideons. Who, Lord, we heard, we heard what you're doing through Gideons this morning. And we, we pray for these men and women um, who serve you in this ministry. Uh, I don't even, I can't name them all, but I know that there are about a dozen in our church, men and women who are serving. We pray you'd bless them. We pray you'd bless their ministry. We pray that you would uh, encourage them. I thank you for what David shared this morning and for these folks that he's been ministering to. We pray that many, as, as he and Les work in the prisons and those who work in those jails as well, we pray that many would come to know you through their ministry and their faithfulness. I pray that we as a church would look for opportunities to serve others and minister to others. And God, now help us to focus on you. Lord, we thank you for how you've provided these last uh, 21, 22 years for Carpenter's Way financially. We know that you'll continue. We pray that you'll bless those who give. Uh, we will use that money carefully to spread the gospel, to do the work here, to disciple. Lord, uh, thank you for those that are visiting today, for those that are watching on the internet. May today be the day that they realize just how much you love them, Lord, just how absolutely crazy about them you are. You don't just love them, you like them. You want to walk with them. So help us, Father, to see you as you are, not to take you lightly but to surrender ourselves to you in a way that our lives are changed. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.
So then, since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he faced all the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy, and we will find grace to help us when we need it most.
sing these familiar songs uh, or learn new ones and we we don't think about the words but that whole idea of our chains being gone is that awesome i mean if we were to die right now for those of us who have called upon the name of the lord we are we are going home and uh i just man i want to tell you i i've been thinking a lot this week um and and you'll understand why in a minute the last few weeks have been awesome in first samuel i i've learned personally so much and i hope you're enjoying our time i've been hearing from a lot of you and uh, i just want to what a privilege it is to study the Word with you. It is such a privilege for me and for Julie to every week get into the Word with you and open the Scriptures and uh, have dialogue. We don't always agree on everything, and that's okay as long as we come from the Scriptures. And uh, I don't think I'd tell you nearly enough just how much we love you and how privileged we are to be family with you in the kingdom and uh, to study God's Word. And so I, I just... You know, I, I tell them Wednesday night a lot. I'm always shocked when anybody shows up on Sunday morning. But uh, it is wonderful to get up here and see you all. And uh, I, just, uh, I just want you to know how much, I, how much we count it a privilege to be with you here in East Texas every Sunday and every Wednesday and doing life with you and seeing you in the mall and, and, uh, and all that stuff. So um, I, I, just, I just want you to know I love you. So uh, it's often necessary as we study verse by verse... Um, with time constraints, which I very rarely watch, and, and lessons to be learned, it's, it's often necessary, probably every week, that we actually take uh, parts of Scripture that were meant to be read as a whole and break them down into small pieces. Um, when we do that, the unfortunate, um, the unfortunate side of that is that we lose the flow of what God intended us to understand in a story. I mean, the study of Scripture is a little bit of a balancing act, as long, especially in groups when we get together. I mean, we want to grasp as many important details as we can of a story, and that often takes us down rabbit trails, which I'm also very good at, or, or to think a little bit. And, and in that, it means that we can't do the whole story as written. So we break it down into small, you know, there's, there's that old story, how do you eat an elephant a bite at a time? We eat lots of elephants, especially as we go through scriptural narratives. We've been doing that in Samuel. Um, but it's also important, if I'm going to handle the words accurately, that there are times when we, we step back into what we've been learning and then take us to the end of the story because it's, it's, meant, 
It's meant to be seen as a whole. And so that's what we're going to do this morning. I'm going to start uh, with a section in, in 1 Samuel 3, and then we're going to go from 4 all the way through 6 because, and just make observations. Because this is a huge, uh, huge section of Scripture. There's a lot to say for us today. If you don't think the Scripture is relevant to today's life, you haven't been paying attention or been visiting with us. <clears throat> and I encourage you to go back on the internet and, and in our archives and just go through these scriptures with us because people have not changed, just technology has. I want, you, I want to remind you that uh, a month or so ago before Christmas, we began in 1 Samuel chapter 3 uh, looking at what God was saying to a young priest's apprentice that we'll call Sam, a boy about 13 or 12 actually, who had never, scripture tells us, heard directly from God when God calls him at night and says this to him, I'm about to do a shocking thing in Israel. I'm going to carry out all my threats against Eli, who's the high priest, and his family from beginning to end. I have warned him that judgment is coming upon his family forever because his sons are blaspheming God and he hasn't disciplined them. This shocking thing that God was going to do takes place in the very next chapter, 1 Samuel chapter 4. And we're going to pick up our story or our text this morning there. And, and you're going to remember a lot of stuff, uh, but that's okay, because you need to see it by the end. 1 Samuel 4, at that time, Israel was at war with the Philistines. The Israelite army was camped near Ebenezer, and the Philistines were at Aphek. The Philistines attacked and defeated the army of Israel, killing 4,000 men. After the battle was over, the troops retreated to their camp, and the elders of Israel asked, why has the Lord allowed us to be defeated by the Philistines, they said. Then they said, let's bring the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord from Shiloh. If we carry it into battle with us, it will save us from our enemies. Remember we talked about that? And I pointed out the fact that these, these Hebrews at this time in history were beginning to see the sacrifices and the festivals, specifically in this story, the Ark as a good luck charm or as some sort of uh, manipulative tool with which they can get God to do what they wanted him to do. Now, for those of you who haven't been with us or don't remember, let me remind you that God had promised at the base of Mount Sinai when he made covenant with the Israelites in what we now know as the Mosaic Covenant, that if they will simply obey him, if they will be faithful to him, if they will do as he orders them to do, they will never lose in battle, their, their, their land will always be fruitful, their wives will not die in childbirth, they will have more food than they can eat. Basically, he promises them every blessing they could dream of if they only keep their end of the Mosaic Covenant. And they haven't been doing that. In fact, in this period of history, if you recall, this is what we call the period of history of the judges. It's before a king comes to position, and in 1 Samuel we'll get there. And it's after the Exodus. Moses is gone, and they're in the Promised Land. This is during the time of the judges, and the last verse of the book of Judges tells us that everybody was doing right in their own eyes. They no longer were submitting to God and keeping their end of the Mosaic Covenant. And one of the things we talked about when we began studying is the reason they asked the question is because they don't want the answer. They should have known the answer because the scriptures told them what would be the cost if they were, if they were faithful to him and what would it look like if they weren't, and this is what it looks like. But instead, they ask, how can God let us be defeated? Oh, we have an idea. What we'll do is we'll take the Ark of the Covenant, and for those of you who don't know, the Ark of the Covenant under the Old Covenant, before the church's birth, where the, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit, the Ark of the Covenant is where God's Spirit would reside, and people could come pray. They, uh, sacrifices would be made there. They could come uh, talk to God through the high priest. So it was the place that God lived. And the smart Jews 
we're thinking, wow, well, God would never let himself be kidnapped or defeated. So if we bring the ark to the battlefield, certainly God won't let us lose. That's called manipulation. That's what your kids do when you say you can't have a cookie before dinner and they go, but I'm starving to death. I'll die. Oh, I'll die. It's the same thing. It's only a different article. They wanted what they wanted. Their plan was to manipulate the hand of God. Verse 4, so they sent men to Shiloh to bring the Ark of the Covenant uh, of the Lord of Heaven's armies, who was enthroned between the cherubim, Hophni and Phinehas, these are the sons of Eli, who were priests, were also with the Ark of the Covenant of God. When all the Israelites saw the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord coming into the camp, their shout of joy was so loud that it made the ground shake. And you remember in our study that, <clears throat> that uh, if, if we saw that Eli and, and his sons took God lightly, and I want to remind you, we talked about the fact that his sons were raping and seducing women who were offering sacrifices. They were stealing from the offerings, but that's not what God held against them. It, it, it infers in this text that those were symptoms of the problem. The problem was they took God lightly. Do you remember that? That's what God said. They took me lightly. And because of that, and Eli took God lightly by not disciplining his sons in the way God had clearly instructed him to discipline them in the, in the book of Leviticus and Deuteronomy. He didn't do what was told. So they were taking God lightly. And because of that, we've talked about the fact that Eli and his sons were guilty of that. Well, it wasn't, wasn't just Eli and his sons. This is what it looks like for the whole nation, the children of God, to take God lightly. They start to use God as an article of self-service instead of submission. When we start using God's things like crosses or arcs in order to get our will or manipulative prayers to do our thing, Again, I want to be clear. There's nothing wrong with praying for your will. Father, heal me. Father, give me a better job. Help my kids to be smarter. <laughs> Help my wife to be nicer. Whatever, whatever your wish is, there's nothing wrong with praying to God. Jesus did that hours before his arrest. He said, Father, take this cup from me, but not my will, yours be done. We've got to be careful not to demand our will on the Lord and, and because that's what they're doing. So the Jews are shocked so they think they're outsmarting God. And now you have the nation, uh, this whole nation thinks they're outsmarting God. And they celebrate, the ark is here, the ark is here, all is well. Verse 6, what's going on the Philistines act? They're, they're watching all this. What's all the shouting about in the Hebrew camp? When they were told it was because the ark of the Lord had arrived, they panicked. The gods have come into their camp, they cried. This is a disaster. We have never, uh, we have never had to face anything like this before. Help! Who can save us from these mighty gods of Israel? They are the same gods who destroyed the Egyptians with plagues when Israel was in the wilderness. Fight us never before, Philistines. If you don't, we will become the Hebrew slaves just as they have been ours. Stand up like men and fight. When we went through this, we, talked, we made the case that it looks like actually, while the Jews think the articles of God are powerful, it looks like the, he, the, the Philistines actually take the God of the Jews more seriously. The Jews had forgotten that it wasn't the religion of Judaism. It was the God of Judaism that was powerful. Just a little warning to the church. It ain't Christianity that's going to change the world. It's Jesus Christ. It's Jesus Christ. And, and we've got to be careful because in many corners, Christianity has become a cult. It's a good luck charm. It's being preached all over the place. If you're faithful, God will give you what you want. That is a lie. It's a lie. It's not true. And everybody who's promised that dies, just so you know. Just so you know, every one of them die at some point. That's how this works. So... Verse 10, so the Philistines fought desperately. 
and Israel was defeated again. The slaughter was great. 30,000 Israelite soldiers died that day. The survivors turned and fled to their tents. The ark of God was captured, and Hophni and Phinehas, the two sons of Eli, were killed. A man from the tribe of Benjamin ran from the battlefield and arrived at Shiloh later that same day. He had torn his clothes and put dust on his head to show his grief. Eli was waiting beside the road to hear the news of the battle, for his heart trembled for the safety of the ark of God. Not his sons, not their reaction to God, but the ark. When the messengers arrived and told uh, what had happened, an outcry resounded through the town. What is all the noise about, Eli asked. The messenger rushed over to Eli, who was 98 years old and blind. He said to Eli, I have just come from the battlefield. I was there this very day. What happened, my son, Eli demanded. Israel has been defeated by the Philistines, the messenger replied. The people have been slaughtered, and your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, were also killed. And the ark of God has been captured. When the messenger mentioned what had happened to the ark of God, Eli fell backward from his seat uh, beside the gate. He broke his neck and he died, for he was old and overweight. He had been Israel's judge for 40 years. Eli's daughter-in-law, the wife of Phinehas, was uh, pregnant and near the time of her delivery. When she heard that the ark of God had been captured and that her father-in-law and husband were dead, she went into labor and gave birth. She died in childbirth, but before she passed away, the midwives tried to encourage her. Don't be afraid, they said. You have a baby boy. But she, never, but she did not answer or pay attention to them. She named the child Ichabod, which means where is the glory? For she said, Israel's glory is gone. She named him this because the ark of God had been captured and because her father-in-law and husband were dead. Then she said, the glory has departed from Israel for the ark of God has been captured. Don't forget why God does this though. I want to remind you as we start, the reason God does this is because the people, the Jews, their priest system were taking him lightly. They took him lightly. And they were shocked, even devastated, with that God would allow his ark to be taken. Remember that. You're going to need that in a few minutes. They were shocked that God would allow that. Rather than repenting and realigning themselves with the covenant that they had agreed to with God at the base of Mount Sinai, they just expected him to be good to them. But God wasn't an Israeli. Let me be clear. God is not a Hebrew. Jesus was. The second member of the Trinity but God is God. He's not an Israeli any more than God's a Christian. God is God. He has no nationality any more than he has a, a favorite gender. He loves us all the same. He calls people to himself, even pagans who are against his own people. And this actually leads God to introducing himself to the Philistines in the next part of the story. After the Philistines, chapter 5, had captured the ark of God, they took it from the battlefield at Ebenezer to the town of Ishtod. They carried the Ark of God into the temple of Dagon and placed it beside the idol of Dagon. When the citizens of Ashdod went to see it the next morning, Dagon had fallen face down to the ground in front of the Ark of the Lord. So they took Dagon and put him on his, in his place again. But the next morning, the same thing happened. Dagon had fallen on his face down before the Ark of the Lord again. This time his head and his hands had broken off and were lying in the doorway. Only the trunk of his body was left intact. That is why to this day, neither the priests of Dagon nor anyone who enters the temple of Dagon in Ashdod will step on its threshold. Then the Lord's heavy hand struck the people of Ashdod and the nearby villages with a plague of tumors. When the people realized what was happening, they cried out, we can't keep the ark of God of Israel here any longer. He is against us. We will all be destroyed along with our God. Okay, just, just a side note. Just a side note. If your God can't protect himself, you should probably worship somebody else. 
It's just an important note on choosing your religion. I'm, I'm just pointing this out. So they called together the rulers of the Philistine towns and asked, what should we do with the ark of the God of Israel? The rulers discussed it, and they replied, move it to the town of Gath. This was last week's text. And I want to remind you, yet again, that God was not destroying these people because of their sinfulness. He was introducing himself. If you want to look at what it looks like for God to destroy people and judge them, look at Sodom and Gomorrah. Look at Noah's day. That's what it looks like when God sends fire down from heaven. That's what it looks like when you're under condemnation. This is what it looked like, and we talked last week that the Hebrews teach in their text outside of biblical that it was hemorrhoids that they got, bad ones. That's what it looks like when God gets your attention. When God is saying, I'm here, you have to deal with me. But also, as we talked about last week, when you come face to face with the absolute undeniable truth in the, of the existence of God, you have three options. You can run from him by pretending he isn't there. We call that atheism or agnosticism. You can run from him, in this case, by trying to send him away, by getting rid of maybe his Christians, which China is trying to do right now by destroying the churches or by sending the ark away. The second option you have, if you choose not to run from him, is to fight him, to take him face on. And you'll know what that looks like if you study Nebuchadnezzar in the book of Daniel. Nebuchadnezzar takes on God. He believes his own press releases that he's God. And the last question he asks Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego is, what God can save you from my hand? God answers his question. And eventually, Nebuchadnezzar bows. The third thing you can do is you can bow the knee to him as Lord of your life as Lord of the universe. Just so you know, the fear of the Lord, according to Proverbs, is the beginning of wisdom. Coming face to face with the Almighty and bowing before Him is the beginning of a beautiful relationship, even if it starts with fear. But those are your three options. There aren't other options. You can run from Him, you can fight Him, or you can bow the knee to Him. And the Philistines, in all that they had seen, decide to run from Him by sending it away. And yet God, in His mercy, isn't done chasing them. Verse chapter verse cha uh, eight, the end of verse eight. So they moved the ark of God to, of Israel to Gath. But when the ark arrived at Gath, the Lord's heavy hand fell on its men, young and old. He struck them with the plague of tumors, and there was great panic. So they sent the ark of God to the town of Ekron. So basically, the ark is taken from the battlefield 50 miles into Philistine territory. Then they start getting tumors and hemorrhoids, and then God, they start sending them back five miles. And then Ekron is another 12 miles. It's making its way slowly back to the nation where it belongs. They sent it to Ekron, but when the people of Ekron saw it they, uh, coming, they cried out, they are bringing the ark of God of Israel here to kill us too. The people summoned the Philistine rulers again and begged them, please send the ark of God of Israel back to its own country or it will kill us. For the deadly plague from God had already begun and great fear was sweeping across this town. Those who didn't die were afflicted but with tumors, and the cry from the town rose to heaven. This is where we ended last week. And it's super important to point out to you again that this is not God's judgment, it's his self-introduction. For those of you who don't believe that, if you go back and you study the Exodus, those 10 plagues, it clearly says in each of those, God says to Moses, I'm going to introduce myself to these people. 
He actually says, I'm going to make my name known throughout all the world by what I'm doing in Egypt. God could have destroyed them by the ground opening up. He did that at Mount Sinai. He could have destroyed them with sulfur from heaven and protected the Jews. He could have did that, done that if he wanted. <coughs> Excuse me. He could have actually just made them disappear or caused a flood or they just died. We don't understand how strong God is. The New Testament teaches that God holds all things together. He keeps life. He didn't just create life. He maintains it. He can cause it to cease to exist by, by not working. It takes more work to keep us alive. This is not the hand of judgment. This is the hand of self-introduction. He's calling them to himself. If he wanted to wipe them out, it would have been less work for him to do it. God sent his son because he loved the world, John 3.16 says all of the world, including those who will never accept him. Enough blood was shed on the cross for every man, woman, and child that was ever born. But why would he waste it? Because he's God and he's merciful and loving. Nobody has to go to hell. No one. But you can't get out of the condemnation you deserve without his solution, and that's Jesus. I want to say it again to you. No man has ever... No man who has ever created a religion or thought up what God was like or wished for a God that would be like this has ever thought up a God who is as merciful and gracious and wonderful as God is. Let me try that again. No one has ever created a religion where the God is more merciful and kind and benevolent and chasing than the God of the Bible. He never, ever stops chasing us, ever, ever, ever. And unfortunately for a lot of us who grew up in the church, the tone of the preachers have dictated how we see God. For instance, we have the story of the sheep and the goats in the New Testament, and, and we know the story of the sheep, sheep uh, when he says, well done, thou good and faithful servants, enter the joy of thy salvation. But then it says that he turned to the wicked, and he said, depart from me, ye cursed into the everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. And it's always said with this low guttural voice, and the preacher is so judgmental. And I don't see it that way. I think God is saying, depart from me, leave my presence, you are now going to go to a place that was prepared for the devil and his angels. I have done everything to save you. How do I know that? Because Revelation 3 has that kind of text written to the church. Behold, I'm standing at the door of knocking. All you've got to do is open the door and we will, I will come in and we will share a meal as friends. As a child, I was, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If you quit being stupid and selfish, I'll come in and I'll knock your head off. That's not the tone of, of, the, of the verse. It's come on. You see it in the garden after Adam and Eve fell. God doesn't go down there and say, in the bushes they're hiding and go, what? You are so stupid. He says, Adam, Eve, where are you? Knowing full well that they're hiding. We're in the bushes. Why are you in the bushes? Because we're naked. Who told you you were naked? Adam, Eve, did you eat of that tree I told you not to eat? Well, it was her fault. God is playing people with their kids, with Cain, knowing full well what was about to happen. God approaches Cain and says, Cain, what are you doing? Sin is creeping at your door. Just bring me the right sacrifice. Please, Cain, just do the right thing and I'll accept it. Go back, start over. But instead, Cain kills his brother. God chases and chases and chases. Instead of, instead of putting Noah and his family, taking them out in a spaceship somewhere out in the universe, we all know that UFOs exist, but, but they all go floating out in the universe or protecting them in a super sub that God creates. 
He causes, uh, he causes Noah to spend 100, over 100 years building the ark as a way of saying, you can get in the boat. You can get in the boat. Come on. What are you doing? The people could have asked. All these people with tumors and difficulty, all the Philistines, they could have said, who is this God that even our God bows down? They could have asked, but they don't. They don't want to deal with them. They want to send him away because they took him lightly as well. They took him lightly. Do not run from God, my friends. Do not fight him, run to him, and bow, even if you don't like his worldview. The only reason you don't like it is because you don't understand it yet. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. In all of your ways, acknowledge him. Not you, us. I've told you before, I, I don't like God's plan for the world. I mean, I like the end game, but I don't like how he's doing it. I don't like what's going on, on in, in, you know, in Washington, D.C. And I, I don't like the struggles that many of you have. I don't like the fact that our brothers and sisters are being persecuted as never before. I don't like any of that. And sometimes I cry out and go, where are you? And he says, I haven't moved. Do you still trust me, Mark? <laughs> kind of. It's okay. I'm going to take care of this. It's hard to trust him, isn't it? I love the prayer of the man in the New Testament in the Gospels where Jesus is about to heal his kid and Jesus looks at this man and says, do you trust me? And he says, I trust you. I know you can heal my kid. Help me with my unbelief. I believe in you, Lord. Help me with my unbelief. Is that not our prayer or should be our prayer? I believe you for the most part. Help me with the other part. That's our cry. Chapter 6, today's text. I know some of you are going, well, you haven't even gotten into it yet. I'm just going to read it and make some observations. It's an excellent message. So the ark of the Lord remained in the Philistine territory for seven months in all. Then the Philistines called in their priests and diviners. And I just want to pause and make a comment. Instead of going to the priests that own the ark, they don't run to the Jews and ask, there's too much pride. Why would you go into your enemy's camp and ask them for wisdom? They go to their own witches their own religious leaders who know nothing about the ark. And they asked them, what should we do about the ark of the Lord? Tell us how to return it to its own country. I want you to note how hard the Philistines work at not bowing the knee to God. They didn't even have to go to Israel. They could have actually bowed before that ark and said, we don't know who you are, but we've seen what you do. Would you please help us with you? They could have done that, but they don't. God introduced himself to them, but but they prefer not to. They prefer to run from him or ignore him or pretend like they can get rid of him. Verse 3, So send the ark of God of Israel back with a gift, they were told. Send a guilt offering so the plague will stop. Then if you're healed, you will know that it's the hand that caused the plague. Well, what sort of guilt offering should we send, they asked. And they were told, Since the plague has struck both you and your five rulers, make five gold tumors. Yeah, that's kind of weird. And five gold rats. Remember in chapter 5, uh, or uh, it, it said that the rats were spreading it. The inference is that there were rats going through. Just like those that ravaged your land. Make these things to show honor to the God of Israel. Perhaps then he will stop afflicting you, your gods, and your land. I refer you to back a comment I made before. If your gods are being afflicted by another god, you're worshiping the wrong god. Just a note. If you choose not to worship Jehovah, choose the most powerful one, okay? Okay. Just a side note, that's free. 
Don't be stubborn and rebellious as Pharaoh and the Egyptians were. By the time God is finished with them, they were eager to let Israel go. Please note, they do not want God to be their savior. They simply want him to leave them alone, making them just like the Jews. The Jews don't want a covenant relationship with God. They just want him to do their bidding. It's the same problem. It's a different way of manifesting itself. The, the Philistines don't want God uh, to be their God. They don't want to bow. They don't want to worship. They simply want him to leave them alone. They've got life worked out. I want you to know, though, and I want to remind you that what God desires is a relationship with us. And most of us, I think, in the church, even today in this culture, want well, just a good life. I mean, we don't want to go to hell. We like that part of the story, but we don't want him to kind of run things because he has a tendency to, to cause hurt and he's not safe. So if we'll, God won't give us what we want, like the Jews, or fit into our own plans and worship agenda, if my understanding of God is different than the scriptures, I'd rather he just leave me alone until eternity. Pretty intense, huh? What do you want more than anything else? You want God or yourself? In case you think I'm making this up, what was Jesus' shout to the crowd as they're walking away? If you want to be my disciples, you're going to have to put your own ambitions aside, pick up your cross, and follow me. And that didn't mean wear a little gold trinket around your neck. He's saying you're going to have to give you up. That's the difference between being a disciple and maybe just saved. Jesus said clearly over and over in the Gospels, choose you today who you will serve. Back to our story. Rather than seeking God through his priests or even bowing the knee before the ark, they go to their own priests, and this is their advice. Verse 7, now build a new cart and find two cows that have just given birth to calves. Make sure the cows have never been yoked to, the, to a cart. Hitch the cows to the cart, but shut their calves away from them in a pen. Put the ark of the Lord on a cart. And beside it, place a chest containing the gold rats and gold tumors you are sending as a guilt offering. Then let the cows go wherever they want. If they cross the border of our land and go to Beth Shewish, we will know that it is the Lord who brought us this great disaster upon us. If they don't, we will know it is not his hand that caused this plague. It simply came by chance. So they continue to question. They continue to want him to go away in case you're zoning out. If a mama cow who still has a baby cow, doesn't turn back and go to that baby cow, it's unnatural. Something else is going on. Because that's what cows do. They go to their young. They've never been yoked. If they don't resist the yoke that has tied them with another cow, it's unnatural. In other words, it's the ultimate test. Send it back, and if it does anything other than go back, it's just chance. Verse 10. So these instructions were carried out. Two cows were hitched to the cart, and their newborn calves were shut up in a pen. Then the ark of the Lord and the chest containing the gold rats and gold tumors were placed on the cart. And sure enough, without veering off in other directions, the cows went straight along the road towards Beth Shemesh, lowing as they went. I looked up lowing. Nobody knows what lowing is. I mean, if you are a rancher, you seem to know what lowing is. All I got was... So apparently they were complaining. Where's my baby? Where's my baby cow? Where's my baby cow? I don't know, but they were lowing all the way. I thought lowing was something good because it's in one of the Christmas songs. Oh, lowing is nice. This seems to be some sort of rebellious thing. Please, if you have information on lowing, 
please send it to me at jeffbonnet.cwbc.org. Very interested. So God made it clear once again. So why is this a big deal? Because once again, God introduces himself to the Philistines. If you don't see God's mercy and grace, he could have picked up, the ark could have been turned over, the Holy Spirit could have carried it into Jewish territory. He could have done a star track, uh, you know, whatever they do when they move things around. But he didn't. He allowed the Philistines to continually test his presence. And at every turn, God is proven real. Well, why would God do that? Because he's introducing himself to them and they have the chance to repent. Well, why would they? Because they can. I thought you were a pre, you know, whatever guy. I'm a, I'm a whatever guy. If they would have repented, God would have called them to himself. If you seek for the Lord, you will find him, Scripture says. Isaiah called out to the Philistines and, it, and the enemies of the Lord, the Assyrians, and it says, you who surround Israel's camp, come to me, I'll be your Savior. God, wasn't, God is not favoring the Jews. He was going to use the Jews to bring the Savior of the world and to point out that even his own people with ten rules wouldn't obey him that we all need a Savior, we all need a Redeemer, we can't be good enough, and even the Philistines are being called to God through this. Watch. The Philistine rulers followed them as far as the border of Beth Shemesh. The people of Beth Shemesh while were harvesting wheat in the valley, and when they saw the ark, they were overjoyed. The ark came into the field of a man named Joshua and stopped beside a large rock. So the people broke up the wood of the cart for fire and killed the cows and sacrificed them to the Lord as a burnt offering. Several men of the tribe of Levi lifted the ark of the Lord. That's important, by the way. Lifted the ark and chest containing gold rats and gold tumors, to which they said, what are those? I'm kidding. I added that. Um, from the cart, and they placed them on the large rock. Many sacrifices and burnt offerings were offered to the Lord that day by the people of Beth Shemesh. Oh, man, the Jews were so happy the ark was back. It had been almost a year since they lost 43,000 or 34,000 people and the ark. Seven months. Seven months. And you can imagine what the emotions were like for a people that totally depended on the, on the symbolism of the ark to prove God's presence. And now the ark is coming back on its own. There's a couple cows bringing it back, lowing. That was a sheep, I think. I'm not sure. But they're lowing on the way. They walk into the camp by a big rock near Joshua, and they do the right thing. Because God had instructed, please understand, these are not dumb people without instructions. They were instructed how to deal with priests that are out of line. They were instructed on how to keep God in your life. They were instructed on how to approach God, and they were instructed on how to deal with the ark. And one of the rules are, nobody ever touches the ark. But the nation of Levi, children of Levi, are allowed to pick it up by holes and they follow it. So that tells us that they knew what the instructions were. They knew what the instructions were, and they pick up the ark, and they're excited. I love this. It's a good day. It's a good day in Beth Shemesh. It's an exciting day. It's a celebrant day because things are starting to get back to normal finally, which is what the Jews really wanted. They just wanted a good life alone like all of us do, and this proved that that was a beginning to happen. So they killed the animals and they sacrificed them just like they were supposed to. They burnt wood from the cart just like they were supposed to. They had the Levites lead all this just like they were supposed to. They feasted. They drank. It was a wonderful night in Beth Shemesh. To make things even more powerful, the five Philistine rulers watched all of this and then returned to Ekron that same day. And then we now know they went on with their lives. 
as if God never existed. They never turned to him. They never told the people he's real. They were just glad he was gone. The five gold tumors sent by the Philistines as a guilt offering to the Lord were gifts from the rulers of Ashdod, Gaza, Ashkelon, Gath, Ekron. Why is that in there? Because every major city and every leader knew that God was real. They still refused to bow. The five gold rats represented the five Philistine towns and their surrounding villages, which were controlled by these five rulers. That tells us that the people knew. The Philistine towns and their surrounding villages, which were controlled by these five rulers. The large rock at Beth Shemesh, where they sat the ark of the Lord, still stands in the field of Joshua as a witness to what, the, uh, to what happened here. This is the moment in time, by the way, when that song, Happy Days Are Here Again, was written. Did you know that? It's actually written on the rock. Ready? But it's not over. Next verse. But the Lord killed 70 men from Beth Shemesh because they looked into the ark of the Lord. And the people mourned greatly because of what the Lord had done, and they asked, Who is able to stand in the presence of our Lord, this holy God? To be honest, nobody knows why these 70 men opened the ark that day. Short of Raiders of the Lost Ark had not been filmed yet, and they didn't know what would happen if you looked in it. But I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt, and I think we all should. I think there was a lot of party in that night. I think there was a lot of celebrating the goodness of God returning the ark. I think they thought happy days were here again. I think that they're excited. And I think as they're sitting around the fires that are burning out with the last of the wood from the ark, a few glasses of wine have been drunk, and there's about 70 men who begin to realize that that ark has been in pagan territory for a long time. And as they talked among themselves, somebody said, I wonder, I wonder if the contents of the ark are still there. It is our job to protect the contents of the ark, after all. We are God's nation. Remember the three things that are supposed to be in the ark? The tablets, the Ten Commandments, the rod of Aaron that had budded, and the manna in a jar. And I can understand. Because when the party was over and nerves were numb, they sat there and went, who's going to look? we got to look. It's our job to look. Certainly, God wants us to know if we need to fight now and get it back. And the truth is, that wasn't their job. You see, pay attention, church. It's about to get really intense. Sometimes the followers of God forget that we are not the Knights Templar of all things God. God is really, really big. And I think even in our good things, sometimes we take him lightly. We can look at the Jews in this story, and this is why I read the whole thing, and we can see them taking God lightly at the beginning by looking at the ark instead of the God of the ark. Instead of looking at themselves and asking, what have we done wrong to break a covenant that God promised where we would never lose in battle, they just think that they can manipulate God. They took their covenant lightly. Bad move. Where we have the pagans taking God lightly, instead of dressing and dealing with him directly, they try to send him away in the cart as if that will solve their eternal problem. Now we have faithful Jews, or relatively faithful Jews, committed Jews, religious Jews, who I believe actually think that they're doing the right thing by opening the ark. There's only one problem. God told them not to. 
God said, don't touch the ark. And they disobeyed. Yeah, but their hearts were right. So was Cain. I want to remind you that Cain came, and I've told you this before, but I'm going to keep drilling it in. Right God, at the right time, to the right place, to do the right thing, he just brought the wrong offering. And when God said for him to make it right because he knew what it was, he said no. These people are excited about the right God, that the right thing has happened. They just forgot that God can take care of himself. He doesn't need their defense. They may have had a million reasons why they should have looked in the ark, but there was one reason why they should not. God said, don't touch it. Well, God doesn't understand, doesn't he? Yeah, but we're supposed to. Are you? It's often the same with us. I think we forget that it's not our job to make America Christian or make sure that we explain God to those who are questioning him or that we keep God's political agenda, whether you're on the right or the left, whether it's an agenda of mercy or an agenda of laws, wherever you stand, I think that we sometimes forget that God can take care of this country and raise up leaders and remove leaders. I think that we feel like it's our job to prove creation, despite the fact that the scriptures don't even prove, or the existence of God. Do you know that that's not your job? Actually, scripture doesn't defend God's existence. It doesn't say these are the five ways you know. It actually says in the beginning, God, it doesn't start out to try to prove it. It just says he was. Because the truth is everybody knows God exists. Well, I have a son who's an agnostic. He doesn't know. Yes, he does. Again, I refer you to C.S. Lewis. Walk up and smack him. Well, that wouldn't be nice. No, and he will think it's not nice. But since there's no God, there's no common law, there's no morals, and I'm bigger than you, so I can hit you anytime I want. Who are you to tell me that there's no moral law? Because God requires a moral law. It's not complicated, but it's not our job to convince people who don't want to be convinced. It's not the Jews' job to go into Philistine and convince them. It's their job to obey. It was not Jonah's job to figure out who should get the gospel and who shouldn't. God said, go to Nineveh. It wasn't his job to, def- to figure out what would happen as a result. And I want to remind you that it is not our job to make sure that this government respects Christmas. That's not our job. We are not the Knights Templar of truth. We are the children of God. Our job is to know our daddy and walk with him. It's not complicated. Well, I don't like what's going on. It doesn't matter if you like it. You're not God. Well, I'd like to be. I know. And the people around you are thankful you're not. But we do the same thing even with good feeling. We're doing the same things. Yesterday, a bunch of people walked with, there's kids in here, so I can't call the hats what they are. And there are signs, there are signs that say, do this to God, signs of blasphemy. And I know it makes your skin boil, but it is not you they are offending. God is big enough to take care of God. And the more that Satan gets us upset or angry or mad at the evil religious leaders of today, the more that you are worried about Joel Olstein, the less you're worried about your neighbor that's going to hell. Joel Olstein is not our concern. He's God's concern. Well, that guy's getting away with, he's not getting away with anything. You don't even know if he loves Jesus. Well, I've heard him on TV. Do you watch him every week? Do you know him personally? Walk with God. You know who you know? You know me. 
you know, the person around you. That's who we walk with. You don't walk with Billy Graham. Thank God for Billy Graham. But he may have told you, hey, look at Jesus. But you don't know him. You don't know Beth Moore. You know God. And if you are the only faithful man and woman left, God is still faithful to his task. Last week, I told you, and, and some of you saw, I put it on, the, on our Facebook page, the second largest evangelical church in China was blown up by Chinese leadership. And it's easy to go, oh, man, God, how can you let that happen? I just want you to know that all they did was blow up a building. They didn't touch the church. They did not touch the church. Don't be distracted. This is super important, family. Phones are going off. Just listen to me. God does not need you to defend him. He wants you to follow him. He does not need us to defend him anymore. There are too many of us trying to figure out who false teachers are. That's not your job. Your job is to tell people who the true king of kings is. Worry less about Joel Olstein and whoever else and worry more about your neighbor's souls, seeing the world from God's perspective. I know, I know that many of you, like me, can get so politically frustrated. Why? Peter told us that we should embrace our real citizenship, vote and go on with your life. The government shut down at midnight a couple days ago. How many of you have been affected by that except that it's all over the news? And all that's on the news is not what you're losing, but who's going to be blamed for it? Walk with God. Turn off the news then. Walk with God. It, try this. Those of you who are like me who get obsessed with this and worry about it and think about it and get angry, turn it off for three weeks. Find out what happens. How many people are going to call you? I just was curious of your thoughts on the whole government shutdown thing. Nobody cares what you think. They want your vote. And they will tell you whatever they think needs to be said to get you there. You are here for a higher calling, and his name is Jesus. And you are to serve him, whether anybody follows you, gets saved or not. God didn't say to David Menchu, I want you to go and give out Bibles because all those people are going to get saved. He said, I want you to give out Bibles, period. That's your job? Your job is to go out there and work where you work and raise your crazy, demon-possessed kids. Well, they're not turning out the way I think they will. You don't know that. I remember one day, and I'm going to embarrass a family because their kids are adults now. I remember sitting in the living room one day, and Julie comes and sits down and says, says to me, I wish my, our kids would get along like Van and Karen Watson's two kids. Their Facebook posts, they are so loving to each other. I premarital counseled Zach. They hate each other. It's, I'm just kidding. That's a total joke. They really get along. Good, but I remember Julie saying, how do we get them, how do we get our kids to act like their kids? And now some of you go, how do we get our kids to act like their kids? Don't get your kids to act like the Watson kids of the world. Get them to act like Jesus. Well, how do I do that? How do I do that? Walk with Jesus. Tell your kids to walk with Jesus. Worry less about how short your skirt is and more how big your heart is for God. Seriously, what have we done in the name of God here? We've Christianized things that have nothing to do with Him. God doesn't need us to defend Him. He's got it on His own. He's perfectly, He's got it handled. He's got this, got this taken care of. He didn't need them to open the ark to find out if there were the Ten Commandments in it, if there was a rod in it, and there was manna in it. 
Well, why wouldn't he want to know? Because nobody was ever going to see it again anyway. The instructions were, don't touch it. So they were put in there for God. Well, I just think that it's a good thing to protect. Then go at it. How's it working for you? You're just kind of grumpy. You know, I, I don't know. We've got, a, we've got about half our church that come from other faith traditions than Baptists. But we have a joke in the Baptist church. And that is about the grumpy deacons. You're laughing because you know. Why are they always so? Because they never replace the work of the kingdom with joy of the kingdom. Fall in love with Jesus. He loves you. And you are still here this morning on this planet walking around, not because you, you exercise or you're a vegan, not because of those things. You are here because God isn't done working on you, with you, and around you. And when that moment takes place, whether you're 90, 19, or 9, you'll go home. Well, you're just blowing it off, Pastor, like it's nothing. It is nothing for the child of God. I mean, I, I'm as scared to death as anybody. I don't, I don't want to die. But it's the process. I mean, I, I'm trying to find a way to die that I'll feel better about, but I haven't found one yet. I've been watching all these royal things. I don't want my head cut off. I've decided that that looks kind of nasty. I think I look better with my head. I don't want to be hung because I'm afraid of what it looks like when you're falling. I don't know. I don't know. I can't find a death I want to die. I don't want to die as an old man. I don't know how I'm going to die. But you know who does? God's got that. And if Satan can keep me worrying about how I die, he doesn't keep, I don't keep obsessed with him. You see, Satan doesn't have any rules. His only game plan is to keep you from looking at Jesus. And he will use Christian politics. He'll use the right. He'll use the left to keep you distracted. He will keep you looking at the ark, wondering if you shouldn't look in the ark. He will keep you defending God. He will keep you doing everything that he never asked you to do. Do you know what he wants you to do? He wants you to do justly, love mercy, and walk with him. Well, how do I do that? Figure it out. You're very smart. You actually found your way to church this morning. Quit waiting for pastors to tell you how to do justly, love mercy, and humbly walk with God. Why not ask God every three seconds? Every time that verse comes to mind, God, how do I do that right now? You've been pulled over by a cop. Do justly, love mercy, and humbly walk with him. Maybe you should blow his mind by saying, God, when he says, do you know how fast you were going? Don't say, how fast do you think I was going? <laughs> that's, not, that's not the right response. <laughs> I know personally. <laughs> you just say, obviously, too fast for the speed limit. Well, I don't want to pay the ticket. Have you ever got out of a ticket? I even lowered my shirt button one button once. <laughs> Doesn't work. Doesn't work. Actually, the truth is I've only gotten one ticket in my life because I've cried through the rest of them. <laughs> I don't want a ticket. My wife will beat me. My wife. Okay, sir, just calm down. <laughs> the truth is, what are we fighting for? Go out there and have a great Sunday. Well, how can I have a good Sunday? The federal government is closed. Actually seems like a good thing. Maybe they'll shut up for a while. <laughs> Go live. Go to DQ this afternoon and get yourself twice the Reese's peanut butter cups that they're supposed to put in there. It's like 30 cents more. Go crazy. Thank God that we still have Dairy Queen. That's what I like about Texas. <laughs> Thank God with your kids. Look at your kids this afternoon. And tell him about how good God is. Tell him what David said this morning. Tell him about the last time you got to witness the truth. Tell him what God's asking them to do tomorrow in school. Tell him about God. 
So you want me to talk about God all the time. He wants you to talk about him all the time. But the only way you could do that is if you're absolutely crazy in love with him. So here's what I really want us to do. Us, not you, us. I want us to ask him to help us fall in love with him. Because as I look at Ephesus, you know, uh, there's a church that Julie and I are familiar with that's teaching on the seven, you know, letters in Revelation, and they're convinced that we're Laodicea. Remember Laodicea in the end is the church that said, we don't need you. You know, we are wealthy and we have everything we need. No, thank you. I don't think we're that brazen. I think we all know we need God. I think our, our problem is worse. I think we're like the Jews here who say to God, uh, who do right theology, right doctrine, right all the stuff. They just don't love him. What happens when Christianity becomes a religion of people that do Christian things but don't love God? If you are a Democrat here this morning and you bend liberal because of compassion but you don't love God, you might as well be throwing your money down the toilet. If you are a conservative here this morning that love God and think we should honor him more and that the church is messed up because pastors are only half good because they wear jeans from the thing down right here, this belly button thing. I can find it because it's always out front. I assure you that your problem is not that you're surrounded by foolish Christians who don't take God as seriously as you do. Your problem is you've forgotten to look higher. You see, our problem and the problem of the Jews here was not that they didn't want to protect God. That's fine. That's very admirable of them, isn't it? It's just that they forgot God in the process. So where are you with all this? Which one of these characters are you? In the meantime, there's a 13-year-old Samuel going, you, you want me to what? Hey, uh, Bill, there's one more section of Scripture, right? Two more. Let's go ahead and read through them because they're important. I don't want to end without people seeing it. Where can we send the ark from here was the question the Jews asked. Are they any different than the Philistines now? The people in Beth Shemesh. What? So they sent messengers to the people of, of some other town, and they told them, the Philistines have returned the ark of the Lord. Thank God. Come get it. So the men, and we're in chapter 7 now, which we're going to get into next week. The men of Kiriath-Jerim came to get the ark of the Lord. They took it to the hillside home of Abimadad and ordained Eliezer, his son, to be in charge of it. So they're doing the right thing. But look at this. The ark returned to that town for a long time, 20 years in all. That's where it was. During that time, okay, don't turn it just yet, Bill. This is a big finish. You ready? During that time, all Israel mourned because it seemed like the Lord had abandoned them. Ever felt that? Where are you? I have, I do a lot, more than I want you to know. Where are you, God? And you feel bad for them here. Why don't they just, you know, come on, God, this would be a good time to clean the slate and start over, right? There was one small problem. Next verse, Bill. Then Samuel said to all the people of Israel, 20 years later, if you are really serious about wanting to return to the Lord, get rid of your foreign gods and your images of Ashtoreth. <laughs> that, that's not funny to you. As they're holding their little Buddhas, they're going, where is God? Why doesn't he love us anymore? Why isn't he, why isn't he walking with us? I don't understand. What is wrong with you? Here we are. We have the ark. Those guys were just trying to protect you with... Those guys are trying to protect you. Rabbi Buddha, somebody get a wish for a dime. You got this little Buddha in your hand. That's what they're doing. And to make things worse, there are children in the room, so let me be as vague as possible. Whenever it mentions the asterisk pole, it's a sexual thing. So not only do they have a little Buddha in their hand, they're sleeping with each other all the time, and they're not sleeping. And they're going, where's God? <laughs> These people are so bankrupt, and so is the church. 
We're too angry. The fruit of the Spirit is not anger. It's not anger. It's just not. Yes, but Jesus turned the tables over in the temple. He turned the tables over because they were selling what was going away for free, religious leaders. And he was saying, I'm the shepherd. I'm the sheep. Come to me. There's no room for anger in the kingdom. But if nobody stands against evil, who will? Would you please go start a new religion and don't call it Christianity? It ain't your place. What is it, that statement in America? Okay, I'm about to get in real trouble with you all. I should have stopped six minutes ago. But there's a great quote. And if I were just a dude living in America, I would heed it. The only thing that it takes for evil to win is good men not speak up. I get that. Unless God's on the throne. If you're going to fight for America, then pick up your gun and fight for America. That's a fine use of your life. But you don't have to fight for, you don't have to fight for truth with a gun. Well, what if they come at us with guns? Die like Jesus did. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Like Stephen. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. This is not about living. It's about dying. That's what this is about. It's not about living. It's about dying. If you think it's about living, you're like the Jews. And you're using God to get what you want. And it isn't about that. Let's close in prayer. Father God, I've said a lot of stuff today. Stuff that I say isn't important. It's just to get us to think. What matters is what you say. So I pray that my thoughts and my opinions would fade away and your word would endure forever. Certainly, certainly, Lord Jesus, there are other ways to look at this text. So I pray we have a good conversation and Bible study about that. But at the end of the day, Lord Jesus, may we not take you lightly. In Jesus' name, amen. If you are visiting today, and I know we have some, I'd love to take you to a Bible study class. Come talk to me. We can do that. Otherwise, Bible study is going to start in five minutes. Have a wonderful day. Uh, did our missionaries, Gideons, will be at the door. If you have some extra cash and you'd like to buy some Bibles, you may.